0: It's a holiday time edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast, David Campbell, your host from cleveland.com, and as, as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and cleveland.com. Terry, how was your Christmas? It was pretty good. Um, I mean, we did the uh, service at the Haven of Rest,
1: which is the city mission in Akron, and uh, just to show, <laughs> no matter where you are, there are labor issues, and there weren't. They had a small staff in there anyway, and one guy calls in at 2 o'clock to announce that he's quitting. He's not showing up this 4 o'clock shift. So the chaplain, the poor guy, was checking in everybody, and we had guys lined up into the the area, and then he was mopping the floor while we were singing and doing the service. But the the people there were terrific and um, had great food, but it's just – you know, it's very, I'll tell you, it's a battle everywhere, whether it's labor or that. And, you know, it's an interesting, I will tell you this too. This is a, I didn't know we were going to get into this, but I know they have four or five openings, for example, at Akron's uh, city mission, Haven Arrest. They never used to have openings, you know, for people. So if you want to go work there, and I bet the Cleveland city mission and some of those things is probably in the same situation. I'm talking about paid positions, not just volunteers. So there we are. We opened what they want add.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of Christmas uh, Christmastime ads, Terry, you say you've been getting a lot of emails from fans who want the Browns to play in a domed indoor or indoor stadium, whatever you want to call it, which is surprising because Cleveland fans are very into like we're tough. We're a cold weather city, cold mm. weather team. Have you been surprised? I guess, what do you think about this whole dome thing? A lot of people in town have been talking about this the last week and with the, the cold was- weather.
1: I think we had a story on cleveland.com. I think BW did a survey on Baldwin Wallace, and like what 70% of the people said, Oh, yeah, I'd like to have a dome. Um, well, let's start with this. If Jimmy Haslam wants to build a dome, that's fine with me. Go ahead, have at it. But the idea of putting out a multi billion dollar project, which is probably what that would be, for you know, 10 to 12 events a year, counting your football games and a few other things. Um, Is ridiculous. And also, it's like, so we're now down to, we need to build a dome to help the Browns win a game? It's it's gotten to that. I may add this, by the way. I read it somewhere. I wish I had come up with it on my own. Um, That was the first win for New Orleans playing outside this year. Because I believe their one road win was in Atlanta. So all I got to say is, they figured it
0: out. And the other team didn't. So no. a couple of things on the dome, Terry. I, I think you're right. I think part of the pitch, though, will be, oh, we can use it for con- – we can host a Super Bowl. We can host uh, conventions there. And there, that's going to be part of it is that if it's <laughs> indoor, they can use it for other stuff. And the other thing that I think is going to become an issue, and I've been reading a lot about this in the last week, the NFLPA is, is really pushing for grass surfaces. Yeah. And there's ways to do it, to have an indoor stadium with grass or, you know, retractable roof or whatever you want to do. But um, a lot of the new stadiums, the Bills are building a new stadium. It's going to be outdoor and it's going to have grass. The players really want grass. And they have research, they say, that shows that the artificial turf increases concussions. And if you're the NFL and you're like, all right, we we've been told that artificial surfaces cause concussions, but we're going to keep them anyway that could be a huge liability down the line. So I am wondering if they do an indoor stadium here. I mean, you can figure the grass out there. There's stadiums that have pallets. I think Arizona has pallets of grass outside that they bring in for the games. But um, that's something interesting to think about as the dome goes along. I mean,
1: let's let's get realistic here. Um, Of the three things you could build in your area having to do with sports – you can make an argument that the arena it makes a lot more sense or a baseball stadium. Either way, you're getting a lot more, um, events. Probably the, a really good arena is the best because you have, if you have an NBA team, there's 41 dates and then they have a minor league hockey team plus all the concerts. Um, you know, things like Joyce Meyer ministry or other people come to town like that. They, they're in those places. Uh, secondly, baseball is at, you know, 81 home games. Uh, like in downtown Akron, I know when they moved the Canton Indians up to um, Akron, became the Akron back then was the, um, well, now it's the rubber ducks on Canal Park. It changed the whole part of downtown where it was there, you know, 70 home dates. Those are, I would say, worthwhile investments because you, you just get a lot more action. A dome, you know, maybe you get more events in or that, but um It's you have to understand who you are. You're Cleveland. And where are you going to put your it's just like you're budgeting at home. Where are you going to put your money? And so that's why if Jimmy Haslam wants to do it, fine,
0: go for it. Well, and I think the other part of this would be and we're seeing this in in Nashville and other places. It's like a big entertainment shopping area with a stadium. Like it, uh-huh. it wouldn't just be a stadium. I think there's bigger but plans. But they already have a,
1: all, have an entertainment area right downtown as it is. I guess that's what I'm arguing. That's what Gateway was all about.
0: Right. And I think what they, they want to do is kind of bridge it so that you, from going down 9th Street there, you've got a whole entertainment district from gate from the, the Gateway stuff all the way down to the stadium. I don't know. It's a lot of money. I, and and I, where's the money yeah. going to come from is a big question. Right. Big that,
1: that's what I'm saying. Of course, look, if, if they want to go in for that, that's fine, but let's take it out of the football context of, like, this is going to help the Browns or something. I mean, by the way, how many games a year really is the weather inclement? Two or three, maybe? Yeah, about that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's just putting it into what, what cost, you know, cost-benefit ratio. I'm sure we have people out there who can figure it out. and. I mean, I'd rather cover it. It's more interesting to cover a game if you're a writer in a dome, like when the Browns played up at Detroit, and that was nice, you know? Um, but I don't know how much they got going on in that place up there. I could tell you that it doesn't seem like a ton of things because they already have, you know, they have, uh, the new arena downtown for basketball and hockey. Um, they've got the stadium down there, uh, I, and so there, there's your whole "quote unquote" growth area. And it, I will say this: it did help that part of Detroit, Dave. But it's not like it's a boomtown or anything. Let's not go overboard on this. Yeah.
0: Well, a lot, so, to be, so lot to be lot to be considered there for sure. So
1: I say let's take up a collection for the dome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Two we'll start,
1: bald guys talking
0: domes. That's right. There you go. All right, Terry. Let's talk about the right. football uh, the football Browns issues this week. So. The fans who showed up for that game on Saturday, it's single-digit temperatures, wind chills mm-hmm. of, what, 25 below, 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. The team that plays in the Dome comes out and wins over the, quote-unquote, cold-weather team. And Dennis Allen said it after the game. We knew that the tougher team was going to win today. Yep. And if you're a Browns fan, you've got to be concerned about what you saw. And we talk a lot about culture on this prog- on this podcast this is a team that's supposed to be built on the running game. They they got out rushed one fifty two to one twenty four. This is a team that's supposed to be built on playing in the elements. They got beat by a team that had never won a game that cold before. It <laughs> was never the, won. Didn't win a game this year outside. It, yeah, it was the coldest game in Saints history and the coldest regular season game in Browns history, mm-hmm. and the Saints win. What do you take away from this in terms of what you learned about? the coaching and Deshaun Watson in cold weather.
1: And I will argue this too. When you're up 10 to nothing in a game like that, it's being up like 20 to nothing. Well, I will say this, they got down 10 to nothing. They kept running the ball. They being the, uh, being New Orleans. Secondly, when they did throw passes, uh, I see Andy Dalton was eight of 15 for 92 yards. For the most part, they were shovel passes or just passes. You could complete almost anywhere. And, They just, they realized the only way they were going to win the game, they had a lot of Wildcat stuff going there, uh, was just to stay with it and try to grind the other team down. And I don't know. I mean, the Browns, you know, big sigh, as they say. I'm still looking at Deshaun Watson, three carries for 24 yards.
0: Why is that? Well, Kevin Stansky said that they started adjusting for that and they couldn't go to it.
1: Oh, much, for heaven's
0: sake. They ran it three times. How do they know? I'm, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, the, Terry, this is – the thing – I went back and re, was rewatching the game. And, okay. And this is what I came away with. There was like a disconnect between Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson and what they were doing on offense. And if you watch cold-weather games – I mean, we you, you watch the Chiefs playing cold-weather. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this at the game the other day. But the Chiefs run, stop um, – Stop patterns, you know. Ten yard stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They run crossing yep. routes. They throw easy passes behind the line of scrimmage. Their whole game is based on yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. And you watch the Browns play in that cold weather on Saturday. It's like they'd never done it before. They're some of the some of the clutch. And they plays did it
1: the week before in ball against Baltimore. What happened to that game plan?
0: Yeah, I don't know. But they're, they're, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, you go back and watch that. There were times when Kevin Stefanski did call plays that where they had a crossing route. Remember the one crossing route in the first half? Um, Amari Cooper had a big game, but mm-hmm. when he was crossing with DPJ, DPJ clipped he one did. of the defensive yeah. backs and got called for interference. Like That's what you want to run. You've got one of the best tight ends in the game, David Njoku. You throw him a five-yard hitch and let him take it 10 yards up the field. Mm-hmm. Like That's cold-weather football. And if you look at that last series down when they were trying to get the, the tying touchdown, the first down I, I went back and watched this because I, I wanted to see what they did. First and ten from the fifteen, late in the game, four vertical routes into the end zone. All yeah. four guys into the end zone on first down. Second and ten, they sent two guys into the end zone and two crossing routes on the right. Nothing came of it. Third and ten, they send three guys into the end zone, and that was the Nujoku drop when he had this that could have yeah. been a touchdown, right? And then on 4th and 10, there was the sack. And on 4th and 10, they had three guys lined up on the left side. And two of them, it was Bell, Njoku, and DPJ. The, all three of those guys on the left side ended up within five yards of each other in the end zone oh, at the end of that play. So two guys could have
1: covered three, really. Two guys,
0: and they did. And that's why yeah. that's why Watson had to take that sack. I mean, he should have thrown the ball up and, and prayed for something yeah. to happen. But the reason he didn't throw it was because that, That that vertical, they had four guys going vertical, and three of them were all in the same area. And like you said, it was easy easy for them to cover, and nothing was open. So, like, I I really, you got to hope that Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson learned something about how to play in cold weather. there. And and Watson passed up some easy short passes that he Mm could have taken in favor of longer ones. So, you hope they learn from this. But it was just, it was really, it was really weird that the cold weather team was playing the wrong way, it seemed like
1: yeah i I just know that um I keep looking at that three carries for twenty four yards one was for twelve and then the other two were for um, twelve yards total so i i don't know i just you look at uh how hill where they used him out of the uh, uh their tight end slash quarterback slash what what else is he a receiver i forgot what he does he does all this stuff anyway. Nine carries for 56 yards. And then they put uh, Camara in the wildcat a couple times too. And sometimes they had Hill and Camara both back there like it was 1951. We're just going to long snap your pick and and we're going to run it. And there you go. So I would like to see that. To me, it was discouraging. Then after the game, and that we could get into this a little bit. Remember miles Garrett said, I'm not saying it was a lack of effort, but it was a lack of attention to detail. And then we find out Garrett was benched for what, what did the, how did the how did Kevin Yeah. So let's get it? into
0: miles Garrett a little bit. So yeah. he, he was benched for the first series of the game and then came in and nobody asked either of them Stefanski or miles Garrett after the game about why he was benched. But on Monday in the Zoom press conferences, they were asked and Stefanski said that it was a coach's decision and that was all he was going to say about it. Uh, Mary K, Cabot, our colleague, did some digging and found out that it w- had to do with Miles being sick during the week and he didn't let the team know in a proper fashion. And they were wondering, I'm guessing, where he was and, and there was some kind of a miscommunication there and he didn't do it the right way. So they sat him out for the first series. So that was what happened there, Terry. Okay, <laughs> and, then, and I'm not doubting
1: it. I'm just saying you're trying to kind of sort through that, and then well, here, well the game, here's what I
0: want to ask you. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. M- Miles Garrett was. I want to go to
1: Miles. That... Yep.
0: Miles yeah. Let's go to cold, Miles. Don't after him. Because okay.
1: After the game, he said it wasn't a lack of effort. I'm not saying that he goes, but it was a pay, you know lack of paying attention to detail. That was what he said.
0: Which means so, what to you?
1: Um. It means one of two things that either the players are not paying attention to detail or there's too many details for there to be able to pay attention to. Either way, it means there was a missed the dreaded communication thing came back, you know, on this time, apparently on the line. And Miles called it out. Now, maybe he mentioned that because he was mad about not starting. I don't know.
0: So where do you stand with Miles Garrett at this point? Let's do a quick State of the Union on Miles Garrett. I mean, according to PFF, he's the best edge rusher in the NFL. But you see a guy here who's the best defensive player on the team, one of the best defensive Mm -hmm. players in the league. He's trying to mentor Perry and Winfrey, a rookie, and try and show him how to be a pro. But then last week, this happens where he makes the coaches mad and gets... Benched for the first series of the game, goes out. <laughs> Grant Delpit and Denzel Ward played 54 snaps on defense. How many snaps do you think Miles Garrett played?
1: You, I think he was barely out there half the time. So I don't know. 30.
0: Thirty-six. Yeah, good yeah. guess. Thirty-six snaps, yeah. and Miles Garrett graded 76.4 from Pro Football Focus, which is like had, a C plus. Like, yeah, right. And had, it, it's it's you're a starter. It's basically you're you're a, a decent starter numbers for PFF, and made three tackles. Yeah. So where do you stand with Miles Garrett? And I, yeah. I just want to see kind of, is he there every week? Is he not? I. I what do you I think it? Miles
1: is going to be one of these guys you always wish you got a little more out of. That said, Miles is also a guy every single week gets double teamed. Miles is a guy that uh, there aren't too many linemen who can win a game by himself. He has one. and Miles is not you know, the driving thing was a problem. The, uh, whatever this was, was, I guess, a problem. I I don't fully understand it. Um, but it's not like we're talking about a, you know, a guy that's a, got all kinds of personal issues. That's not it at all. So I think it's one of those, you you stay with them. Sometimes you just kind of have, what have to grow up with them. Um, He's, he's a great physical talent. Every, I mean, I remember my first year uh, when I was got to know Chris Palmer, well, and we were talking about rosters and this, and, and he was, he said, well, Terry will pretend, I forgot who the Browns were playing that week, but let's just say it's Baltimore. He says, pretend you're the uh, defensive coordinator for Baltimore right now. Who worries you about my offense? And I'm like, Kevin Johnson, I don't know, maybe a little Tim Couch. He said, okay. Now, pretend you're the, you know, the the other coordinator on the other side of the ball. He said, the easiest way to find out what kind of players you have is to pretend on your team, is to pretend you're the coordinator game planning for your team that week. He says right away, and I will tell you this, every single offensive coordinator, is having to say we got a game plan for miles garrett we got to make sure we're chipping him he gets held a lot he really does and so i'm willing to be very patient with him he did sign a contract extension to stay here Um, he is involved in a lot of good things in the community i just think because he's such a imposing physical specimen, you would think there'd be more. And he's not like Jadavia and Clowney. Clowney's another one of those guys. You always think there's more to be gotten, but Clowney's kind of like really on his own program. You know, the, this team, that team bouncing around, that's not miles either. Miles maybe in his own way is committed to the Browns. Like I thought it was bad taste on his part, not to go to the hall of fame when the rest of the players went that the line that, he said, and I, I think I mentioned it in note that, you know, I'm not gonna go till I'm in there. No, you go to pay respect for all those other Cleveland Browns. It's not about you. It's about your team and it's about Jim Brown and and all those other guys that you would see. So but overall, you know, Miles Garrett is not the problem with the Cleveland Browns.
0: Well, and I will say this, Terry, we saw what happened with the Denver Broncos over the weekend where you got players arguing on the sidelines. And the fact that Kevin Stefanski was willing to bench his best player yep. for one series, it, it, it you know, th- the, Paul Hackett gets fired because he doesn't have control of that team. I think Kevin Stefanski, this is another example of apparently he does still have control of this team. Yeah, I, I
1: don't, That's just Kevin, another example. But You know, when we look at Kevin, we're not going to say this team is in chaos. Like some of the others, there are not a lot of guys that are out there, you know, getting arrested or any of this kind of stuff. They're not having that. So that that stuff's gone. Um, And even the fact is, we'll see how it all goes. But since Deshaun is signed, remember, I'm not a big Deshaun guy, not an excuse maker for Deshaun. But since he's been here, as far as we know, there have been no problems with him off the field.
0: All right. Well, the Browns are at Washington on Sunday. They have two games left. They're out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And anything in particular you're looking for other than the continued progression of the offense with the show well, Watson? Well, first of all, it's supposed to be like 60 degrees.
1: So let's see what that looks like. Game number five for Watson. Let's see how that goes. And then the Washington's still in the in the hunt and everything. Where are the Browns? Because I I've been saying all this along that they're going to be judging how this team plays down the stretch. And uh, would it be enough to cost Stefanski his job or not? I don't know. You know, my my feeling is no, but I also say when you're working for the Haslam's, you never really know, especially if you end poorly. So that's what I'll be looking at because it's here. It's it's a good matchup because they, you can see what they could do against Washington. Ron Rivera usually has those guys playing hard. Uh, I guess they don't know whether they want to play once or Heineke. They're kind of all over the place with their quarterback. And then, of course, where do they end? Pittsburgh. How about this, Dave? Just like every year, it seems like. You explain this to me. They've won seven games in Pittsburgh. How many touchdown passes have their quarterbacks thrown? The whole season? Yes. It's 12? in my column for tomorrow. Oh, they wish. <laughs> 9. Oh, I wasn't that far off. <laughs> 9. They've thrown 14 interceptions, nine touchdown passes, they've won 7 games.
0: Which could be through 12. Yeah, and actually um it's amazing. You look at their roster, they're nowhere near <laughs> Who as good as the Browns. Yeah. Who are these Nowhere guys? near as What
1: missed half the games? I mean, just isn't Fitzgerald or Fitzpatrick hurt now or something. I don't know what they're doing. All I know is I was working on all this for my column for tomorrow, and uh, suddenly I'm going. I flash back to when Delvin the Duck Hodges beat the Browns. The Duck is out of the NFL, I may mean, add, and he went to Canada. He's out of there too. He announced his retirement from Canada. Long live the Duck! But um, you know they're set with it. They're seven and yeah, seven and eight. You know, Tomlin wants to end up with a winning record.
0: He's never had a losing one. Sixteen years. Yep.
1: So well, we'll see. I think it's going to be. I think that's going to be a really tough game because I know one thing. One, I know one of the teams is going to show up and play, and then we'll see what the orange helmets do, and we'll see what Stefanski does with that. I really, uh, very, very curious. So I, I'm, I'm,
0: uh, I'm kind of into the last two games just to see how this plays out. Yeah, and you, and you know. Toward the end of the season, which teams are bought in with their coaches and which yeah. aren't, by the way they play. And I think you're right, Terry. That's going to be a real litmus test to see how the Browns come out that day. Um, all right. Hey, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Cavs. Lots to go over there. Um, they've hit a rough patch here against some really good teams. I want to get your take on that. We've got some little bit of Guardians to talk about. We've got a good Hey Terry question, and we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, Terry Pluto, David Campbell. Let's get into the Cavaliers, Terry. 22-13, one game behind the Bucks in the Central Division. They've had a week of games against some really tough opponents, and they're seeing some really good defense thrown at them. On Monday night, it was a 125-117 loss to the Brooklyn Nets. I was interested in what J.B. Bickerstaff said after the game, Terry. Usually, he's pretty hard on his team, but last mm-hmm. night he was kind of propping them up a little bit and boosting them and saying, "Hey, I, I believe we can play with these teams. I think we did enough to give me confidence in that. I just think we be- we waited too long to believe we could, meaning win that game last night. What did you mm-hmm. think of? What did you think of last night? And also this this recent stretch against Milwaukee, Toronto, and Brooklyn.
1: Okay, um, of course, Milwaukee was. Just the uh, almost a perfect game to beat the Bucks. So, and I think that was a that was a uh, mountain they needed to climb to get over that. Toronto's a mountain in the same way it used to be for um, the Raptors when LeBron was in town. No matter what they did, it, it really didn't count. This scrappy team just bugs the Cavs quite a bit. I think JB is is very good at reading the the uh, mood of his team, and Brooklyn showed up to play last night. Let's start with that. Kyrie wanted to make a a, a statement, and Durant. When Durant is healthy, I mean he's he's one of the greatest I've ever seen, because what Lebron, what, what, what Durant could do, he was one of the few players that could take Lebron one on one and take him on. So I mean he's just I remember seeing him the first time, it was uh, his freshman year at Texas, mm-hmm. and it was a game in December, and I was, Roberta and I actually were on vacation at a place called Cedar Key, and she was doing something, and it was kind of late at night, and I'm watching, it, go, Roberta, because Roberta loves like, look at this guy. This seven footer, he's like eighteen years old. He's he's dropping in twenty footers like it's nothing. He's just gliding on the floor. I said, but he's like he's like uh, not, sort of like Julius Irving, but no, he's a better shooter. And George Gervin, he's got kind of the I mean he was like all all these things are coming to me. I did I know he's gonna play fifteen years, be the great one of the greatest ever. No. But I was mesmerized by this. And then remember the debate about whether he or Odin should be the first pick in the draft. It wasn't even close. I mean, this guy's skill level was off the charts, so, w- and we've seen that over the years when he's wanted to play and also stayed healthy. I mean, he's, he's always a, an Achilles, a broken bone in his foot, something away from that, but he was engaged. And, of course, Kyrie, when he comes back here, likes to make a statement, and they've put some good role players now around those guys to, to help, and I think that's why JB wanted to, rather than beat on him, let's just... Uh, say it was what time when the their superstar showed up and we're not going to beat my guys up on that one.
0: Yeah. You're right though about the rant, Terry there, there's you watch him and it's like, all right, well, there's no stopping that shot. There's no stopping no. that shot. What are you going to do on that one? Oh man. Look at like the, the way he plays and how tall he is and how long he is. Like there you are- see, he gets the ball up
1: over his head real high too. So he's got long. He's got the arms of a guy who's seven foot six. I mean, it's just incredible. And he's so skilled, 15th year, um, and, you know, they have their coaches got them playing some defense. And, boy, by the way, you know what I was thinking during that game? Can you imagine if they did not make the uh, Jared Allen deal? You put Allen in the middle of those guys? Oh, man. I mean, there would be your defense. They they would want a title then. But we'll see how it plays out over the long term. Yeah. Yeah, the Cavs are – yeah, go ahead, ahead. Terry. You you brought up Mitchell.
0: Yeah, so Donovan Mitchell, uh, it's been an interesting few nights for him. Against Toronto, he was 4 of 16 from the field, 3 of 12 from three-point land, 12 points. And then against the Nets, another rough night, 15 points. He had five assists on 5 of 16 shooting and 3 of 9 from deep. Kevin Durant, after the game, was talking about how the the Cavs – are going to be getting better and better, and, and Mitchell is going to propel them to the next level. But he's had a couple of rough games here, Terry. And after the Toronto loss, he was – and I wasn't sure if it was gamesmanship for the next matchup. He basically said that the Raptors foul all the time and that they play too aggressively on defense and that the refs let him you – know, basically the refs let him right. get away with a lot. Uh, good move by Donovan Mitchell to do that, and kind of how do you see him being able to get back on track? That's the kind of stuff you usually say in the playoffs
1: to try to send a, a message to the officials.
0: You know, True. They're, they're yeah.
1: letting him beat him up and that. Uh, I think he's. I think he was frustrated. Well, let's look at the last two games. Last two games, he has taken 32 shots from the field. And, David, how many are three-pointers? Uh, 21? Yes, 21 is the answer. And the other answer is way too many. Uh, because here is a guy that can get to the rim at will. And what he did in the Milwaukee game, for example, he was struggling in that game from three point. He was three and nine, but he started going to the rim. And what did he do? Fifteen or sixteen at the foul line. This is a guy that shoots eighty eight percent from the foul line. He he is strong. So when that that would have been one of the things I would have done the last two games, and maybe they did that with uh, Donovan. I don't know what said in the huddle. It's like, man, the the, the three pointer is not there for you now. Go to the rim. Just go in there. Put the uh, onus on the officials. Let's see what they do. He has more moves to get the ball up over the rim with either hand. Um, I just, he fell in love with the three pointer. And it, it just really is, uh, uh, it, it was bothering me. It's
0: like, stop doing that. That's a great point, and I think the other thing that'll get him back is is not having to play against these teams. I think they have the yeah. Bulls two out of the next three games, but uh, you can bet the Cavs coaches have noticed this too, Terry. Well, I mean, sit, went to the rim to against the Milwaukee and shot fifth sixteen free throws.
1: I'm just looking, you know, there he went to Dallas as a physical team. He went to the rim on and that, against those guys, he was nine to twenty one from the field, but six of eight from the foul line. See that that'll help your percentage a lot too when you're going to the foul line, and he's just, he doesn't miss at the foul line. So, uh, I mean, Toronto, is one for four, I'm looking, but, you know, he's 88% on the year. He, he's a wonderful player, but it's, it's easy to, it's easy in the NBA where they keep saying, take the three-pointer, take the three-pointer, and it's easier to think, I'll just take the jump shot because it's not as physically demanding as it is for me to go into the rim. But sometimes when your legs are a little tired and you're getting beat up a little bit, it's harder to make that jump shot where it's easier to go towards the rim and make something happen. The other thing that happens with this, when Mitchell goes in, the defense will collapse around him. And remember, that leaves all kinds of lanes open for Allen and Mobley to get offensive rebounds. A guy like that going to the rim, the other team, we were talking in the football segment about you know opposing coordinators. I mean, they're telling their people when when Mitchell goes to the lane, you got to just cut that off. You got to cut that off, and so that leaves opportunities for the other big guys.
0: All right. Well, we'll see if he gets back to taking it to the rack uh, in this next stretch of games here, um, Terry. Next, I want to run this past you. This is something that there's things that are kind of hot button issues for Cavaliers fans, yeah. and one of them is Kyrie Irving. And this came up last night, Uh, Chris Fedor, our colleague, wrote about it after the game about should Kyrie Irving's number be retired by the Cavaliers after the way it ended here where he basically demanded to be traded out of town because he didn't want to play with LeBron anymore. Last night after the game, (laughs) Kevin Love said, yes, I want to read this quote from him. He was asked if they should retire Kyrie's jersey. He says, without a doubt, absolutely, right away after his career ends, it's not even a question to me. He needs to be up there. He made the biggest shot in franchise history and one of the most important shots in finals history when you consider how it all went down, what it meant for the city, what it meant for his legacy, LeBron's legacy, and everything else, including that Golden State team that became a dynasty and was historically great. Where do you stand on retiring Kyrie's number, Terry? I guess, and if yes, when? When would be the right time?
1: Or are you against it? First of all, um, immediately, you got to be kidding. There is no way. LeBron gets retired first. By the way, Kevin Love gets retired first. Because, you know, LeBron, yes, he left. But LeBron always left when he was a free agent. LeBron didn't go in and said, if you don't trade me, I'm going to get knee surgery. That's exactly what Kyrie did. And then, you know, then along with his pouting and all the other stuff. And the year before, when he said he wanted to be the focal point of the franchise, a stat that few people know, the last year – Kyrie played with the Cavaliers. He averaged more shots from the field than LeBron James.
0: That's They were
1: giving him plenty of opportunities. Okay, so now, is he a great player? Yes. Did he make the biggest shot? Yes. Uh, So I would, but it would be down the line quite a ways. He would not be first in the line. It's just like sometimes, you know, you may say, I'm going to vote for the guy for the Hall of Fame, but uh, I'm not going to make, given that, you know, that first ballot thing.
0: So you would do LeBron, Kevin Love, and then Kyrie in that order. Yeah, and and I would spread
1: it out. I also think, too, David, that sometimes, I mean, you hate to wait too long, like Franco Harris was honored, you know, so long afterwards. But honoring these guys within a year or two after they retire, I don't think it means as much to them as it does five or ten years later. I really do. I think it's something special to – kind of wait a bit
0: that sounds right to me terry i, I think that's that's a good time frame. i'm not for yeah.
1: banning him and all this but you have to consider and you know meanwhile kevin love signed the extension and i i give love a ton of credit i thought he was done two years ago he just kept getting injured um looked like he didn't want to be here when beeline was a coach and he's totally revived and reinvented himself um, as the sixth man, he's totally engaged in what they're doing. Um, Love has impressed me so much with his attitude. We know he's battling through a lot of physical stuff, and he leads can take in charges.
0: Well, and regardless of what happens with Kevin Love's career the rest of the way, Terry, his legacy of bridging that that divide between the LeBron yes. era and where we are right now is going to be something that he can be very proud of. And the franchise can be very proud. And
1: of. he did, he, there always was the guy
0: that has to sacrifice when you do the big
1: thing with LeBron. And remember Chris Bosch talked about that. You know, he went from averaging 23 points or whatever with Toronto to like 14 or 15 playing with the big three. And then, you know, he was back up over twenty. When unfortunately, I forgot what he had—a uh, blood problem or something—to cut his career short. So Kevin Love was the guy that took fewer shots, had to learn how to defend more, all that stuff, and was kind of a guy that LeBron would really, you know,
0: beat up uh, verbally and practice and things like that. That's fascinating to think about. it. We should do a poll on this sometime, Terry, and see mm-hmm. what fans think. I think I'd be really interested to see the results there. So, All right, the Cavs have the Pacers on Thursday on the road, and then they're in Chicago on New Year's Eve against the Bulls, and then they're Monday at home against the Bulls, so back-to-back there against the Bulls, two games and three nights. Then they're at, um, home against Phoenix next Wednesday, January 4th, so... All right, Terry, Um, it's not baseball season, but there's always something to talk about. And mm-hmm. I want to spend a couple of minutes discussing Miles Straw real quick. Everybody's been disappointed in his offense, you know, last season. And, and you've written about how valuable he is as a center fielder, how many runs he saves every time he's out there. There's some reason for optimism with him, because if you look at Chris Valleca, the Guardians hitting coach, Miles Straw is up in Cleveland. You wrote this over the weekend, working mm-hmm. with Chris Faleka. Is this going to have a big impact? Do you think? And and what what looks like? What is a good season for Miles Straw that you'd like to see offensively from
1: him? I'm going to you know kind of look at the overall numbers in a moment, but I was I was glad to see that because he does have like three more years on his contract or whatever, so he could just say, "Hey, I'll, I'll catch you in Goodyear." But he came up for this, and. Um, if you kind of look at his career, if the, for example, if the year where he hit uh, like 280 after the trade, it was just surrounded by a bunch of 220s. That would be different, but actually, you know, Straw now for the for the season, it was it was it was pretty rough to to watch him. I mean, he what did he hit here? 221. But when you go and look at his overall stats. Uh, if you, in 2021, you know, he hit, um, he hit 285 overall and he was sitting 262 with Houston. Now the, the, if I always, I've, I've decided just to throw out the COVID year because the stats there were just all over the place. He had 207. The year before that, he had 269. So, uh, and by the way, in the minors, I believe he's close to a 300 career hitter. So he has hit in the past and, Francona made a great point about he never let his defense down. So I just, I'm staying with him. You know, he was 21 out of 22 on on uh, stolen bases. I mean, look, it drives you nuts. No homers, three triples, you know, 22 doubles. There's just not a lot of pop. He hits the ball really soft. But uh, if he gets back to that 260 level, I'm really good with that. And I don't see why not that. And that's very viable for him. I mean, he's done it three times. He did it in 260. He had 269 in 2019. He had 262 when he was with Houston that first half of the season and 285 when he came to Cleveland. So, and as I mentioned before,
0: his career in the minors is, is, is pretty good. Yeah, a lot of people might be wondering, Terry, like, well, he was working with Chris of the whole season. Why didn't they fix it during the season? But if you know about every guy's swing is so detailed and with hand placement and stride, stride length. And it's very hard to rebuild your swing during the season in the middle of games. And there's not much. And if, the, if you're doing like a, even a, not even a complete teardown and rebuild, but even just like a significant change, you need to put in thousands and thousands of swings to,
1: to like make also, that
0: automatic. And I think that's why he got up here so early was to work with Chris Valeka get through some mechanical stuff so that way he can just rep it and rep it and rep it and be ready to go in spring training hits.
1: Well on top of that, David, if you look at his at bats from September first on, so there's hundred and seven at bats in there. He had three oh five. So something was happening at the end of the season. And so that was you know I'm sure they're very they were encouraged by that too. And maybe they're building on that. I just He's a good athlete. He's a great center fielder and fans. Well, there you remember some of those guys out there, guys falling down in the outfield would complain the outfield. They didn't hit. They couldn't catch the ball. They were terrible. Um, Yeah. You could go with Quan in center field. I mean, but I doubt he'd be as good as straw, but he probably be above average and he's great in left field. Uh, And you got Oscar and right. And maybe, you know, one day Valera or that, but I'm just, I think he's an important player.
0: All right. Well, we'll see if he can continue that end of the season into 2023 and mm-hmm. see what happens. So, all right, Terry, hey, I,
1: go by ahead. By the way, the other thing that was interesting to me, because I was on the conference call at Francona, um, Zanino is, is, is interesting because of this thoracic the TOS surgery, thoracic whatever, whatever it is, outlet syndrome. And, because it is his non-throwing arm, but it is his lead arm with the with the bat. And Francona himself said, look, had he been coming off a healthy year, we don't get him. That's what he said. This is the reason we get a, a crack at him. I think they are shopping for another veteran backup, at least, um, to go into the season. Because I it really appears that they want to start with Bonet or in the minors.
0: Yeah, that's every indication we're getting, and it makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes sense, and you've talked about this, Terry. They they don't like to have rookies uh, start with a team when the weather's cold because they can, if they don't hit, their confidence can yeah. get get damaged. And so, yeah, I think I think that's probably a reasonable expectation that he'll be in the lineup. Francona's
1: April in Cleveland, you know, and we don't like, and it does make some sense too. Not there where you're bringing a guy up when he is hitting, so. Because generally, you're not going to promote a guy if he's one for 21.
0: Yep. All right. Hey, Terry, we got a Hey Terry question this week. Okay. And this one comes from, we've had two questions from Africa, and this one's from Indianapolis from Tom Fodor. Thanks for writing in, Tom. He says, Hey, Terry, I was raised in the same era as you and cannot forget how great Dick Shafrath was for the Browns. Recently, Tony Baselli got into the Hall of Fame with three All-NFL seasons the same as Shafrath, and only five Pro Bowls compared to Shafrath's six. We have correctly focused on Clay Matthews' credentials the last few years, but let's not forget this other Browns great who may be even more deserving of enshrinement. Um, For the wonks among us, (laughs) Shafrath has the third highest approximate value metric in Browns history behind Jim Brown. And interestingly enough, Clay Matthews at number one. Enjoy the podcast immensely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Tom. Thanks for the uh, the note and the kind words. Um, what do you think, Terry? This well, has been I, an I fa- campaign.
1: I failed the wonk test. I could tell you that. <laughs> so, um, but you know, Shafra probably does qualify. The problem is he's in Cleveland. Now it's a long way off. I, I believe our uh, voters here are, are Mary Kay Cabot and Tony Grossi. and I just don't know how the Football Hall of Fame works. I wish I did. I just don't because I've never been involved with that at all. The same thing with basketball is a mystery to me. Uh, probably the, of those two, the one that I probably should be more involved in is basketball, because I've written a lot of basketball history books and things like that.
0: You know, are you, in the, are
1: you in the Basketball
0: Writers Association? Basket- yeah. Basketball? Okay.
1: But they have, they sort of the same thing. It's a limited amount of voters. They go into a room, you know, they make presentations that, so that would be one of those things. I know that, uh, the Cleveland contingent really worked hard to get um, Gene Hickerson. So we look at the the different guys that were there, and you know, Shafreff was. I wrote about that in the '64 Brown Brownstown, 1964. It's like he he always played way underweight. He had an astounding career given that. Then he would do crazy things like try to swim, you know, row a boat across Lake Erie and stuff like that. So it's just. Um, he was a character. He's state senator for quite a while too. So I believe it's
0: the the, the um, normal group of voters votes for the current nominees, and then there is a veterans committee. I think it's like mm-hmm. baseball, where there's a veterans committee that maybe chooses forgotten players and coaches who yeah. maybe were overlooked or, or didn't get in when they were uh, regular nominees. So I wonder if Dick Schaferth will come up on that second list. All right, Terry, uh, time to wrap up here. We've been doing a book recommendation okay. lately. And do you have a book for this week?
1: I have an author recommendation. If you like Tony Hillerman's books, then I really suggest his daughter's taking over the series, Ann Hillerman. And I think she's tremendous. Uh, my wife does too. I think her characterizations are even better. And I just think she's really worth reading. So, just check out one of the Ann Hillerman's books she's, she's got the same series she's taken in a little bit different direction um, I love those mysteries set in New Mexico and some of times in Arizona
0: um, it's just terrific uh, and um, check it out all right And, Terry do you have any uh, I think do you have some library appearances coming up in January to tell people nothing about? for a while no I really don't all right so I think everybody went to sleep for Christmas. Yeah, it'll pick up again. And just a reminder, if you want to check out Terry's book offerings uh, through his career, you can go to terrypluto.com. And speaking of pitches, if you want to be a subscriber to cleveland.com, you can get a lot of cool stuff, access to everything on the site. Um, Our subtext subscription to the Browns, a Browns newsletter. If you go to cleveland.com slash Browns and go to the blue banner at the top, you can sign up and subscribe and that would help. I think that's it, right? That'll do it. All right, Terry. Thanks. Have a great New Year. You got any big New Year's plans?
1: Oh, yeah, right. Remember, I'm going to the game.
0: <laughs> That's big plans. You'll be in, in watch, Washington. Watch,
1: watch they go out there in 60-degree weather and that, and they'll run it 45 times.
0: <laughs> well, I'll be watching the Michigan game at 4 and the Ohio State game at 8, so that'll be my New Year's Eve. So not yeah. exactly a wild party, but we'll have a good time nonetheless, right?
1: <laughs> well, that'll be good. I mean, it'll be fascinating to see how that goes.
0: Yeah. Um, can you imagine an Ohio State Michigan national championship game? People would lose their minds. They would. Yeah.
1: They would. The South would would have to rise again from after that. So they yeah. would
0: not handle that well. All right. Happy New Year, Terry. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. We appreciate you listening and being part of our community here. We'll text we'll talk to you next week on Terry's Talking.